Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with all of you in worship this morning. For those of you that I have not had the pleasure of meeting yet, I'm Emma Murphy, the Congregational Care Pastor here at Mount Horeb. And I am super excited to be here with you this morning as we continue on in our series, The Unhurried Life. I read an article on a church site this week that said this, In 1967, experts on time management delivered a report to the U.S. Senate. These experts believe technological innovations, satellites, and robotics would present a big problem for the American workplace in the years to come. And what was that problem? That people would have too much free time. The report said by 1985, people might have to choose between working 22 hours a week 27 weeks a year, or retiring at 38. I'm getting pretty close. I guess experts can be wrong sometimes because our culture is not a reflection of this report at all. Today, we are busier than ever. We fill our calendars with more tasks and activities and events, and we hope to achieve as much as we can in as little time as we can. We are constantly thinking about the next event or activity that we have to do. We are obsessed with being in a hurry. In one of Pastor John Ortberg's books, he tells a story about some counsel he received from Dallas Willard after he moved to Chicago to work at one of the most influential churches in the world. And so John calls up Dallas and he asks him, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? And after a long silence on the phone, Dallas responds, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so John writes down that advice and he asks, okay, what else? Another long pause from Dallas Willard, who then replies, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Friends, let's be honest. Our culture today is fast-paced about everything. We're addicted to speed. We want to be able to access information instantaneously. We want to find the most efficient line at the grocery store. Can I get an amen on that? We race around people who are going four miles over the speed limit. We are consumed with continuously and moving quickly on to the next thing to get as many things done as we can. But in our hurry, we lose sight of the moment. In our hurry, we fail to soak up the present. And so instead of our lives being marked by joy and peace, they are full of distraction and frustration. But as Dr. Bill talked about last week, Jesus offers us a different way of life. God does not offer us freedom from suffering, but does offer us rest. I think Dr. Bill said this perfectly. He said, he offers us rest by sheer grace. For Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so over the next several weeks, we are going to be talking about specific characteristics of this hurried life that often burden us. 
and we'll be examining them from a scriptural perspective. And so this morning, our topic is anxiety, a real easy one to kick off the series. And to be honest, ever since I found out I was preaching on this topic, I've been anxious about it. So I'm probably the perfect person to be up here today preaching because I'll be preaching to myself. Anxiety, that can be a scary word. And so before we get any further, I want us to define anxiety. Well, according to Webster's Dictionary, the definition of anxiety is apprehensive uneasiness or nervousness, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. And the American Psychological Association defines anxiety as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. Y'all, I literally checked my Fitbit before I came up here and my heart rate was over 100, so I can definitely get behind these definitions. But what are the things that worry you the most? What are the things that make you anxious? How about work? Anyone? Getting a call from your boss or maybe an email from your HR department telling you they need to speak to you first thing the next morning? Yeah, that makes you nervous. Or how about Lexington traffic? Yes? Are you kidding me? During the holidays, I was afraid of getting hit by a maniac going down 378. Or what about getting sick? Over the last few years, we've all been anxious about this. Getting a text or a call from somebody and saying, hey, so-and-so has COVID, just wanted you to know in case you came in close contact with them. Yeah, that worries us. And for me personally, every time I'm about to walk up on this stage, I feel like I'm gonna be sick. It makes me nervous. It gives me anxiety. These feelings of worry and nervousness, they happen to all of us. And so today I really wanna dig deep into this topic of anxiety. I wanna look deeper at what the scriptures say about our anxiety. And not only that, but what the promises God makes to help us live a peace-filled life. And so our main text for today is 1 Peter 5, verses six through seven. In this book, the apostle Peter is writing to Christians throughout Asia Minor. These Christians were enduring lots of suffering. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them in their persecution. He's telling them to remain faithful to God even amid their suffering. And so this is what Peter writes in chapter five, verses six through seven. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The first part of this passage tells us to humble yourselves. As I was studying this passage this week, it seemed strange to me at first that humility is used in this passage. Like what does humility have to do with anxiety? it seems a little weird to start there because anxiety, you know, it overwhelms us. It pushes us down. We're emotionally low when we're we're feeling anxious. So why would Peter tell us to humble yourselves? It seems a bit unsympathetic. But Peter makes it clear that these two really go hand in hand. Ultimately, church, our humility enables us to cast our anxieties upon God. Our humility enables us to cast our anxieties upon God. 
And why is that? Because humility requires self-awareness. A humble person is a person who's honest with themselves. And that is essential in understanding and managing anxiety. I believe that we won't get anywhere with our anxiety if we aren't honest with what we're anxious about. All of us struggle. All of us struggle in some way with anxiety. But for Christians, it can be hard for us to admit that because so often we believe that it's a reflection of our faith. Some of us see worrying as a sign of spiritual failure. We look around the room at all these other Christians and see no outward signs of anxiety. And so we tell ourselves, there must be something wrong with me and my relationship with God if I'm feeling this way. If only I had more faith, I wouldn't be anxious. If only I trusted God a little bit more, I wouldn't be anxious. Friends, these things are simply not true. We all experience worries, stress, and anxieties on some level. And it is important for us first to be honest with ourselves about these things. But before we go any further, I think it's imperative here for us to talk about these varying levels of anxiety. As I said before, we all have anxious thoughts and worries and nerves, and those experiences are gonna happen to all of us. And that's really the foundation and level of anxiety that we're going to discuss today and that I believe this, this passage is illuminating. However, there are people that struggle with clinical anxiety and are living with mental illness, such as anxiety disorders like phobias, panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, PTSD, OCD, and many others. And so it's important to first ask yourself this question. Is my anxiety inhibiting me from daily activities? Is my anxiety preventing me from functioning throughout the day? And if it is, I want you to be able to get the help that you need. This sermon is not the help that you need. I'm not gonna be up here and try to give you a theological or biblical fix for what you're going through. Instead, I want you to know first and foremost that you are not alone in that. And second, we have amazing resources at Mount Horeb and also in the community that we partner with like counseling that I would love to talk to you about. We love you, we care about you, we wanna help you. And Pastor Jeff brilliantly once said in a sermon, I was able to give him a shout out in the first one, in a, a previous sermon, he said, we find help in the natural and hope in the supernatural. And so please come talk to me or one of our other pastors. You can send us an email, give us a call if you'd like to talk or seek some guidance if this is where you are. Friends, when we begin to be honest with ourselves in humility, we develop wisdom. We start to be able to recognize those root causes of our anxiety we start to see the things within us that are making us anxious. And so maybe it's insecurity. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not outgoing enough. I'm not skinny enough. And so I'm anxious because I feel like I will never be enough to get that job, to get married, to find friends, to fit into that small group. Or maybe isolation is the root of your anxiety. There's no one to help me. I'm not a likable person 
certainly no one wants to be around me. And so I'm anxious because I feel like I'm alone in this. Or perhaps it's uncertainty. I'm afraid something bad is going to happen. I don't know if I or we will ever be able to get through this. I feel like I might fail. And so I'm anxious because I feel like I have no control over the future. Peter goes on in this passage to say, cast all your anxiety on him. When I first read this verse, I read the New International Version for us, which is often what I like to preach from. But I want us to look at the English Standard Version for just a second because it's grammatically a little closer to the original Greek translation. It says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If you notice in this translation, there is no period after exalt you. Instead, there's a comma. So the phrase casting all your anxieties on him is not a separate clause, but it's a continuation of Peter's thought. Humble yourselves, casting all your anxieties on him. It's kind of like saying, drive carefully, staying awake at the wheel, or be kind, saying hello to that new person in the pews. There's an important connection here. Casting our anxieties is only possible possible after we humble ourselves before God. Casting our anxieties upon him is an expression of humility. It's a characteristic of a humble person. It is saying, I'm not trying to shoulder all of this anxiety myself, but rather I am trusting the promises of God's goodness and faithfulness and therefore casting my anxieties on him. If we humble ourselves before God, we are honest about the things that make us anxious and we choose to give up that total control and rely on God's power and his love. And so then in this we are called to cast our anxieties with a purpose. Cast with a purpose. I wanna dig deeper into this word cast for a minute. The Greek word in this passage for cast is epiripto. Can you say that? Epiripto. Great job. Which is a combination of the Greek words epi, which means upon, and ripto, meaning to cast or throw down. And epiripto is only used twice in the New Testament. In this passage that we're studying today and in the passage in Luke 19, right before Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. He tells two of his disciples to go to a village, untie a colt and bring it to him. And so they bring the young donkey to Jesus and the text says they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And so that Greek verb used for through in that passage is the same as casting in our text today. This verb describes a throw with a sudden motion, to to jerk or to cast forth. And N.T. Wright, I think, describes this word the best by saying the verb is a strong one. Pick up everything that is bothering you, everything that is weighing you down, and fling them on God's back. I feel like you have to do this motion when you say fling. So what do you do when you fling something? You get rid of it quickly. It's a fast motion. And you do that with a purpose. 
You fling it for the purpose of not letting you weigh, it, weigh you down. You fling it for the purpose of letting it go as quickly as possible. And so when we are experiencing anxiety, when we are worried about something, it's best not to continue to dwell on that thought or concern or event or whatever it may be, but we are to fling it away, to cast it with a purpose. And what does Peter say to cast with a purpose? There's one little word, all. All of our anxiety not just some of them, not most of them, not the most important ones, all of them. And this all circles back to that, that idea of humility, right? Casting all our cares with a purpose is a sign of a humble person. We can't cast our, our cares on God if we're too proud. Instead, we will believe that we can do some of this ourselves and alone without God's help. We won't fling them upon God. We will continue to dwell and worry about things until it causes even more anxiety. You know, I've gotten a lot better at this as I've grown in my relationship with God about casting all of my anxieties on him. But there are still a few areas of my life that I really struggle with. And one of those is my anxiety around preaching. I told you that every time I'm about to come up on this stage, I feel like I'm gonna throw up. And that is very true, but it's even worse when I'm about to preach. And some of you probably don't know this about me, but I don't love to preach. You can laugh, it's true. And mostly it's because of the way it makes me feel, anxious. But really it's not being up here and preaching because when I'm up here, I'm, I'm excited to be here with all of you. It's really the prep work that goes into it. Writing a sermon can produce terrible anxiety for me. Am I being true to the text? Am I keeping the passage in context? Am I being heretical? Are my illustrations good enough? How do I close? Are people going to hear the gospel message? And in the midst of all these worries, you know what I don't do? I don't cast them quickly upon God. No. Instead, I think because of my seminary degree, my exegetical experience, and my knowledge in biblical and theological things, surely I can write a good sermon. And maybe by the standard definition of good, my sermon would fit those requirements. But in the past, I've left no room for the Holy Spirit to speak through the text or through me. And you know what happens? I'm more anxious because of it. But when I choose to cast my anxieties upon God around preaching, I have more confidence that these are not just Emma's empty words or maybe a couple intellectual thoughts, but they are spirit-led and they are spirit-filled. I'm not telling you these things to try to get sympathy at all. I just want you to know that we all struggle in different areas of our life to cast certain anxieties upon God. And so while it may not be preaching or preparing for a sermon, it could be giving a presentation at work or leading a team or facilitating a Bible study or even telling that neighbor about Jesus. Peter doesn't tell us that we should pick and choose what anxieties to cast upon God 
Peter doesn't tell us that there are some worries that we are strong enough, smart enough, and wise enough to work through on our own. He tells us to humble ourselves, casting all our anxieties on him. There is no care too big or too small for God. But casting with a purpose also eliminates another significant part of this section of the passage. Casting with a purpose means being wise about where we cast our anxieties. When I think about casting, and maybe some of you do too, I immediately think about fishing. If any of you know me well, you know my husband is an avid fisherman. His heart is when he can go on the water and fish. And he really doesn't discriminate. So if any of you have a pond that needs to be fished, give me a call, send me an email. I know a guy and he's right over there. So I'll probably talk to you about it. And because I love my husband, over the last five years of us being together, we have done a lot of fishing. A lot of fishing. During that time, I've seen Truman cast his fishing rod over and over again into Lake Murray or into some random pond that we might have discovered in someone's backyard. And through this, he has also tried to teach me how to fish and specifically how to cast. There he is, y'all. He looks even good from the back of his head. He is so cute. And really, this is, a, is truly an ongoing learning process for both of us, a test in patience and in our marriage. But you see, I've learned that avid fishermen are strategic in how they fish. You can't just toss the line into the water and hope for the best. Well, I mean, you can do that, but you're not necessarily gonna catch a fish. Instead, you have to be wise about where you cast your line. For example, I'm gonna show you how much I've learned and Truman's gonna be proud right at this moment. Let's say you're fishing for bass on the shore of a pond. So you wanna cast your line near trees or rocks or maybe um, a drop-off point or near a dock or a stump in the water, but don't get, it, don't get your line caught. I've done that plenty of times. And why do you wanna cast in those places? Because bass are predatory fish and use those things as ambush points they're more likely to be in those places and therefore bite your bait. And then voila, you've got a fish. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and he did not catch that for me. I did that all myself. So even I can cast in the right place every once in a while. But I can say the same thing about where we cast our anxieties. Are we casting our cares upon God or are we casting them in all the wrong places? Maybe we think we're casting our cares upon our heavenly father, but instead we are trying to carry these worries ourselves, demonstrating a type of false humility. Or perhaps we're casting our cares on everyone else around us trying to rely solely on friends or family members or maybe even our coworkers to help reduce our anxiety about things and carry these burdens for us. And while some good friends may be a nice listening ear, they will never be able to carry them like we need them to. But when we purposefully and humbly cast our anxieties upon God, our lives are transformed because he is faithful and gracious and he's going to work them for our good and for his glory. 
We begin to see that gospel truth that's been hidden by those root anxieties that we're feeling. And so while we're aware of our feelings of insecurity, we know that ultimately we are secure in Christ. While we we may be aware of our feelings of isolation, we know that God is always with us. While we may be aware of our anxiety over uncertainty, we know that God has gotten gotten us through it before and will get us through it again, no matter what happens. And that brings us to the last and most beautiful part of this passage. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God cares for you. For a lot of us, we've grown up in the church and we've been told this many times before that God cares for us. We've heard all the amazing Bible stories about God's faithfulness, his sacrifice, his goodness, his unending love for people. But do we truly believe it? If you don't hear anything I say today, I want you to hear this. God cares for you immensely, more than you will ever know. And God's posture toward us and our anxiety is not one of anger or frustration or disappointment, but one of compassion and care. The text says it right there. He wants us. He wants us to cast our cares on him because he cares for us and he doesn't want us to bear those burdens alone. He wants us to live a life of peace. There is a famous poem that many of you have probably heard before and I wanna read it for us this morning. It's called Footprints in the Sand. One night I had a dream. I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord and across the sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to me and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of my life flashed before us, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that many times along the path of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in my life. This really bothered me and I questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But I have noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why in times when I needed you the most, you should leave me. The Lord replied, my precious, precious child, I love you and I would never, never leave you during your times of trial and suffering. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Our God cares and loves us so much. This mighty hand that Peter talks about in this passage is not an image of an oppressive ruler, but of a loving parent. A parent that takes the hand of their anxious child and guides them with kindness, compassion, and protection. And in response, 
as his children, we wrap our fingers around that mighty hand and humbly follow because we know he cares for us. Church, we are nine days in to 2022. And many of us have made New Year's resolutions and some of us may have already broken those. But one of mine this year is I wanna live a more peace-filled life. And so this morning, I wanna end with just a few simple peace-filled strategies to help guide us through the rest of this year and the years to come. First, continue to develop self-awareness. We talk deeply about being honest with yourself about the root causes of your anxiety, but it's also important to identify those things that help reduce your anxiety. Is it music, spending time in community, doing something outdoors, getting some exercise maybe? Developing your self-awareness will lead to more peace. Second, pray with a spirit of peace. How we choose to cast our anxieties is just as important as actually casting them upon God. And so when we come before the Lord in prayer and feel anxious about something, we can often get really worked up and so our prayers tend to be anxious. We pray a little all over the place. God, you gotta fix this. You gotta, you gotta help me right now. And so our attention becomes jumbled and it's hard for us to hear the, the prompting and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe we need to take a step back for a minute and return to that later when we can name it and pray it with a non-anxious spirit. Number three, take risks. That may seem weird that we're talking about anxiety and taking risks. But when we make decisions that might be risky for short-term anxiety, they can result in long-term peace. For example, let's say your anxiety is rooted in isolation. And so it's risky for you to be a part of community. Taking that leap and joining one of these small groups that are on the tables outside can stir up some short-term anxiety. However, being a part of that group could be really good for your heart, your mind, and your soul. In community, we often receive encouragement and support and a sense of belonging. That risky decision, therefore, could ultimately lead to a more peaceful lifestyle. And finally, spend quality time with God. And the reason I say quality time rather than quiet time is because I believe this looks different for each one of us. For some people, it's great to go into a quiet room by themselves with a journal, a pen, and their Bible and spend some quiet time with God. But for some of us that are more anxious people, we simply cannot do that. For some, you need to listen to worship music and meditate on that for a while. Or for me, the best way for me to really be attentive to the Holy Spirit is to get out and walk and pray while I'm walking. I feel like I can hear the Holy Spirit's prompting most when I'm moving. 
to practicing and figuring out the best way for you to spend quality time with God means paving the way for deeper trust and intimacy with the one who cares for you the most. And so this week or this month, I want you to reflect on these four peace-filled strategies and maybe just choose one to live into and try this year. Do you need to work on your self-awareness? Do you need to change up how you're praying? Do you need to take more risks? Do you need to figure out the best way for you to spend quality time with God? Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for loving us, for caring for us, for showing compassion to us, even when we're experiencing anxiety. Lord, what a blessing for you not to approach these struggles that we have with worry and anxiety with a posture of anger or disappointment, but one of compassion and care. God, give us the humility this day to come before you and to cast all our anxieties upon you because we know that you care for us. Amen.